All right. Man, it's so good to see you all. Now, who does not, we're using the same handout. Who does not have a handout? Raise your hand. We got some guys up here that have it. You're definitely going to want it. So make sure that you have one. Got plenty of them. All right. I've got to say, you know, just seeing you all out here, we're here to study the Bible together. And maybe I'm just getting old and soft. I don't know. But I just love Grace Baptist Church. I just love being here together and studying. And not just studying the Bible, but studying the Bible with you guys. I mean, this is, this is good. This is our family, isn't it? And, uh, and I love it. Let's have a word of prayer and we'll get started. Lord, thank you so much for the opportunity to study together. And as we lay some, some really foundational things and give some foundational understanding, I pray that it's a help for your people. Thank you for your amazing Bible. Thank you for the people that have done the work that we are uh, studying from tonight. And Father, I pray that this is a help for your people and that you're glorified by all of it. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, open your Bibles to Acts chapter 1. So if you all hate this tonight, you can blame Laura because she said, I need definitions written down. So that's what, that's what tonight is. If it's a blessing, then um, tell me. So get your handouts. We're going to open our handouts to page three to our definitions section. And this morning I wasn't sure if I would make reference to these and then go through it more more uh, carefully tonight. But um, I think that this is going to be a big help. I really enjoyed putting it together. I've got footnotes here. Because uh, sometimes when you're talking to people and you say, this is what post-millennialists believe, they act like you're not telling the truth. And so I have um, academic citations for all of these things. I've just ordered, I think, four different books on post-millennialism that I'm going to be reading. And, um, you know, I like to quote Doug Wilson. You've heard me talk about Doug Wilson. Doug Wilson's a post-millennialist. And he's a very winsome post-millennialist. And so I just read his book um, on Friday about post-millennialism. And uh, probably won't get into a lot of it tonight. But it's just amazing how bad, theolo- how bad a theology it is. And we'll see that tonight. So, <clears throat> Acts 1, this is our foundation. So there in verse 3, To whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Michael, are we live streaming tonight? Good. All right, then verse 6. When they therefore were come together... They asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And so we're talking about the difference between the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God. Jesus had been teaching about the kingdom of God, and then they asked him about the kingdom of heaven. Now, when we actually uh, get back to that text, we'll talk about, was it a good question from them? Was it a bad question? All of that. But before we can even understand, so in verse 4, uh, Jesus is telling them to wait, the end of verse 4, but wait for the promise of the Father. Um, uh, can I just show you something fun, a preview of what we're going to be doing? So hold your place here in Acts 1, go to Romans chapter 9. I know last week we looked at this at some point. 
So look at verse 3, Romans chapter 9 and verse 3. Somebody said, you didn't say Romans. It's because I'm literate. All right, for I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh. So talking about the Israelites, who are Israelites, to whom pertaineth the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the service of God and the promises. You might want to mark that word, promises. So in another message, we're going to spend some more time on this, but the promises. So now go to Acts chapter 1, verse 4. And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promises of the Father. Is that what it says? No. The promises were all of those things to do with the kingdom of Israel. That's the promises. The promise that God gave the church is the Holy Spirit. That's fun. So we're going to break that down some more. And the reason we have to get into that is because one of the key passages that differentiates the, the post-millennial and the pre-millennial position, and we're going to define those, but one of the key passages is there in the book of Galatians where they're talking about the seed of Abraham, and the passage says, not of seeds, but of seed. So Paul is making a big deal about one letter in the word, and it has to do with the promises or the promise. We're going to have so much fun with that. That's just a preview of things to come. All right, so let's look at our definitions. Eschatology. You hear me use this word a lot. Eschatology. And basically, I've got three or four different sources that I've used for this. One of them is the Pocket Dictionary of Theological Terms. And the longer entries are from um, the Lexham Bible Dictionary that's a part of my Logos Bible software. So... Letter A, eschatology. Eschatology, then, is the theological study. So let's, it'd be good for me to just put theology in there. Theology is the study of God. Theology proper is all the different attributes of God, characteristics of God. That's theology. The broader use of the term theology is broken down into different ologies, different studies. Um, pneumatology is the study of the Holy Spirit. So like you guys will use a pneumatic nailer because it has air. Pneumatology, that's the spirit, the, the, the study of the Holy Spirit. Soteriology is from the Greek word sozo, which has to do with our salvation. And so that's the doctrine of salvation. Hamartiology is the study of sin. All of those are categories under theology. How many of you have done well never hearing the term hamartiology? You've done okay? So this is, those are theological terms. Eschatology, then, is the theological study that seeks to understand the ultimate direction or purpose of history as it moves toward the future. I really like that definition. Because what I've always said is, I don't remember where I heard it, but that that prophecy is God writing history before it happens. Because when God prophesies it, you can mark it down as history. Right? So I like this statement. Eschatology, then, is the theological study that seeks to understand the ultimate direction or purpose of history as it moves toward the future, both from an individual perspective, so what happens when a person dies, and from a corporate perspective. Where is history going, and how will it end? So as far as my personal eschatology, 
one day when the Lord returns in the air, I'm going up. Amen? Then I'm going to be with the Lord for seven years. There's going to be the, the judgment seat of Christ. And then I am going to be riding a white horse and come back with him to the earth when he returns. That's my personal eschatology. It doesn't really matter much to you what my personal eschatology is. Our corporate eschatology is what's going to happen with the nation of Israel. What's going to happen with the other nations in the world? What's going to happen with the church? See, that's the corporate aspects of where is history going and how will it end? The term millennium, millennium. We talk a lot about the millennium. Of course, the word millennium is not in the Bible. Number one, it's arising from the Latin word for thousand. The millennium refers to the thousand-year reign of Christ mentioned in Revelation 20. Um, David, where's David at? Or I should probably ask Monica, but where are you guys at? David, what's the, what's the term for millennium in Spanish? Millennio. So that really is the Latin root, isn't it, for a thousand? Okay, that's fun. Um, I feel like elf. That's fun to say. So arising from the Latin word for thousand. I can never think about that movie without thinking about my dad. So dad, um, he headed towards dementia as he got older. And so the doctor prescribed him B12 to help his memory. And we had all watched Elf together. That's kind of a Christmas tradition. A couple of hours later, we're at dinner, and he said, a while back, I watched this movie about a six-foot-three elf. (laughs) It's like, B12, Dad. (laughs) B12, we just did that. Anyway, arising from the Latin word for thousand, the millennium refers to the thousand-year reign of Christ mentioned in Revelation 20, verses 1 through 8. Now, we should probably go ahead and turn to Revelation 20 and read this section because this is the crux of millennial teaching. So let's go there and look at it. There's a a documentary that was put out, um, As in Heaven, So on Earth, I believe it's called, and it's a post-millennial documentary. It's relatively new. I watched it, I think, Friday. And um, Doug Wilson has interviewed other post-millennialists, famous, a guy named Gentry that I'll, that I'll quote in, or that I'll cite here in our study tonight from a book that I just got. But um, this, in that, they mock something. So look at what this says, verse 1, Revelation 20 and verse 1. And I saw an angel come down from heaven having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years. And so I think it was Doug Wilson, who again, it didn't offend me that he did this because he likes to laugh and he jokes. And he he made a comment about, well, this can't be a literal chain because Satan's a spirit. He doesn't have a body, so a chain wouldn't bind him. Well, the Bible says it's a chain. And so even, it might be, I can't remember if I printed this part of the definition or not, but even in one of the premillennial definitions, they try to make it sound like, now, while not a literal chain, well, is Satan the dragon? Is he that old serpent? Is there a pit? Well, then, there's a key and a chain, 
Can God make a chain that can hold a spirit? All right. But that, that gives you an idea of the difference between where we are and where much of Christianity is. So at the end of verse uh, 2, and bound him a thousand years and cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that, he must be loosed a little season. And I saw thrones and they that sat upon them and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God and which had not worshiped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their right hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. But the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. And when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison. So what do you think, if you were going to come up with a theme for those first four, those first seven verses, take a, take a stab at it. Maybe a thousand years. And so we are the crazy people. We are the minority of Christians that actually believe it's a thousand years. Okay? So, millennium. Now look at number two on your handout. Millennialism also goes by the term chiliasm. Chiliasm. It looks like chiliasm. But it's, that's what you have when you eat chili late at night. You have a chiliasm. But the term chiliasm arising out of the biblical Greek word kilios, meaning 1,000. In contemporary theology, chiliasm is often used in the, narrower, in the narrower sense of belief in the premillennial return of Christ. Now, here's why I put that chiliasm in there. Um, people are accused of having chiliastic doctrine. And here are the people in history that had Kiliastic doctrine, the extremes of Kiliastic doctrine, the Montanists, the Donatists, the Albigensians, oh, the Baptists. We've always been fringe, and we've always believed in the premillennial return of Jesus Christ. And Augustine is the one who came along and basically killed people if they believed in a literal thousand-year reign of Christ. Very important that we understand that, Okay. So that's why I put that term kiliast in there, because if you ever read anything about Baptist history, that'll come up. All right, so that's the millennium. Let's look at premillennialism. Laura, are you happy so far? Okay, good. The view that the millennium follows the return of Christ, which therefore makes his return premillennial. In the teaching of some premillennialists, the millennium will begin supernaturally and catechismically preceded by signs of apostasy, worldwide preaching of the gospel, war, famine, earthquakes, the coming of the Antichrist, and the Great Tribulation. Jesus will then return and rule on the earth with his saints for 1,000 years, during which time peace will reign, the natural world will no longer be cursed, and evil will be suppressed. After a final rebellion, God will crush evil forever, judge the resurrected, non-believing dead, and establish heaven and hell. All right, so that's the basic position of premillennialism. And most of it is what we just read in Revelation chapter 20. 
So premillennialists just believe what the Bible says. All right, number two. The beliefs of early church fathers, such as Papias, Justin Martyr, Irenaeus, and Tertullian, reflect premillennialism. These church fathers now understand, I'm not going to go through it again, Romans 9 even says that the fathers belong to the Jews, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, physical fathers. Church doesn't have fathers, but in church history, that's the term that's used, so that's what's this, this definition, which is not my definition. This is the definition from these books, all right? These church fathers asserted that God has planned a 1,000-year time period for this world to fulfill his promises. They argue that this reflects an ancient tradition based upon consistent hermeneutics applied to the entire Bible. So let's talk about that word hermeneutics. Generally speaking, we teach how to study the Bible. All right? So if you're doing it in a local church and it's free, it's how to study the Bible. If you're taking a college class and you're paying for it, it's called hermeneutics. That's the difference between how to study the Bible and hermeneutics. Hermeneutics is just based on a Greek word that's about how to how to study. What's the Greek word to remember, Patrick? The Greek word, the basis for hermeneutics. Uh, uh, Justin, do you remember that from your class? I don't either. Doesn't matter. All right. So I want to. I do want to say one thing about this definition that's really important, and it's the last sentence on page three. They argue that this reflects an ancient tradition based upon consistent hermeneutics applied to the entire Bible. Well, yeah, the day of the Lord, that day. The Lord's going to return, and the consistent hermeneutic is to take the Bible literally unless there's allegorical language employed. All right? So it just, like, he had a key and a chain, so we believe that he had a key and a chain. He didn't have something that as a chain. That's not what it says. All right? So if like and as are employed, then you're dealing with, as Brother Dave talked about, a simile or a metaphor. Or the, the, that's, that's figurative language. The, we believe that if the Bible says something, we take it literally unless the text forbids it. All right? <clears throat> Number three. The premillennialist view is further divided into two views regarding the fulfillment of certain Old Testament promises. So this is a real fun section. It's amazing how complicated some of this stuff gets. There's basically two views within premillennialism. Letter A, dispensational premillennialism. All right, this is what we believe. All right, if you don't believe it, then you're not one of we. (laughs) This is what Grace Baptist Church believes. It's in our statement of faith. Okay? Dispensational premillennialism, this is what we believe. And that means the promises are fulfilled directly for national Israel. National Israel. The kingdom is for Israel. God is not done with Israel. And you might want to write this down next to that. Basically, we see a distinction between Israel and the church. There's a distinction between Israel and the church. We just applied that hermeneutic when we looked at the book of Romans. Because he was talking about Israelites. So who do you think the passage is about then? Israelites. There's a difference between Israel and the church. All right, letter B, so that's dispensational premillennialism. Letter B, historic premillennialism, that teaches that the church and Israel will experience these promises equally. All right, so what's the difference between dispensational premillennialism and historic premillennialism? We're going to see the church as distinct from Israel 
Historic premillennialists believe that Israel and the church are going to be amalgamated somehow. All right? That, that's just a bad hermeneutic. It, it just is. All right, number four. Premillennialism is distinct in its literal interpretation of Revelation 20, 1 through 6. All right, that, I added that note. I want to make sure that you understand that. We, we're the only ones that believe it. Now, let me say this. Whenever I make a statement like that, someone will come and say, well, my Uncle George goes to a church, and they believe it, and it's some weird little church that has all of its own ideas about everything. Well, you can find somebody who believes, you know, that the Antichrist is a six-foot rabbit named Harry. You know, you're going to be able to find somebody that would believe something like that. But that's not actually a position. Y'all follow what I'm saying? That's not a recognized understanding of the text. Number five, the descriptions in Revelation 21 through 6 reflect Old Testament texts which describe how God will overcome the serpent, enable Israel to rule, and reverse the curse. So I have all these passages listed that we actually believe and that Revelation chapter 20 is the fulfillment of. This is what premillennialism is. All right, number six. In Acts, the Lord still seems to promise a restoration for Israel. Now, one of the one of my problems with theological literature, all right, is this subject. It's, it's called academic objectivity. So there seems no. The Bible says it, it doesn't. There seems no. No, this is what God said, and there. Because they list all the different views, they're going to say, well, this seems to be this, this seems to be that, because they don't want to take a position that would stop people from buying their books. Okay? But in Acts, the Lord still seems to promise a restoration for Israel. Well, when we get to the book of Acts chapter 7, that is the promise, and Jesus Christ is standing at the right hand of the Father, ready to come back if they'll say yes. So, it's what happens. In Acts, the Lord still seems to promise a restoration for Israel, and Paul proclaims the salvation of Israel when Christ returns. Premillennialists argue that Revelation 21 through 6 satisfies these expectations within the Old Testament and New Testament. This makes a literal interpretation of Revelation 21 through 6 important in God's plan. We would say vital. We would say part, endemic in. All right? So, letter D, amillennialism. What is amillennial? Anytime you see the word ah in front of a word where they're using Greek or Latin, it's a negative. So here, amillennialism, number one, the belief that the thousand years mentioned in Revelation 20 do not represent a specific period of time between Christ's first and second comings. Many amillennialists believe instead that the millennium refers to the heavenly reign of Christ and the departed saints during the church age. Amillennialists usually understand Revelation 20 to mean that the return of Christ will occur at the end of history and the church presently lives in the final era of history. So here's what they believe. So the postmillennialism and amillennialism are almost identical. They, they really unite in many of their beliefs against us. It's really important. So they believe that Satan is bound now. It's what they believe. Who we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. 
It doesn't make sense. Now, I, I have to be fair with them. I'm sure Doug Wilson has more of the Bible memorized than I do. He even preaches from the King James. He, a brilliant man, and he would have an explanation for that. It just doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't For a person who takes the words literally, I don't want someone to explain the words away. And that's what they would have to do. I really want to show that. That movie's about an hour and a half. It'd be fun on a Sunday night to show you this post-millennial movie, and then we can just talk about it. I think that would be a blast. You guys might not enjoy the same things I do, but I think that would be really fun. So, um, number two, amillennialism is characterized by the following views. The 1,000-year period should be taken metaphorically. Letter B. Millennium actually refers to what happens spiritually between Christ's first and second comings. Well, didn't he have words available that would say that? He had called it an epoch or an era or an age. or Those are all words that were available to the Bible writers. A specific thousand-year period, like when the Bible talks about a time, times, and half a time. Then the Bible defines what a time is. It's a year. So a time, times, and half a time is one year, two years, and a half, three and a half years. There, there's specific ways that the Bible say 42 months. There's specific times, a thousand years. And we believe that those are actual time periods. All right. So millennium actually refers to what happens spiritually between Christ's first and second comings. Let her see. The Lord has conquered Satan and bound him at the cross. The saints can now proclaim the gospel. Christ reigns in heaven, and the saints reign with him as they submit their lives to him and evangelize the nations. So the idea is that Christ is already enthroned in heaven. He's not coming back to sit on a throne in the earth. If the heavens are glorious and majestic, he'd have to take a step down to come to lowly earth and reign here. That's almost a direct quote from Doug Wilson. But the Bible says he's going to come and reign, sit on his throne in Jerusalem, and receive the glory that's due his name. Because what God has done is God has said, okay, I'm going to create this whole world system and I have chosen planet Earth to be the center of my revelation. And I will receive glory throughout all planets and all universes centered from the planet Earth. That's what God says. All right? And that's just clear. That's what the Bible says. All right, let's keep going. Um, letter F, Christ's rule and the fulfillment of God's promises is primarily a spiritual reality. So, we understand that the church age is spiritual, not physical. But the kingdom is physical. They believe that the kingdom of heaven is spiritual. That all of the kingdom promises from the Old Testament are spiritual, not physical. Of course, you can't get that from the Bible. Amen? Right. Then, uh, letter G, the millennium describes how God spiritually deals with evils in the church age before Christ returns. No, it doesn't. John may have intended his work as a complete metaphorical presentation of God's final victory in Christ. Letter I, New Testament apostles approached the Old Testament with a degree of interpretive freedom, which would allow for a spiritualized reading of Revelation. 
So what they're saying is when the apostles quote the Old Testament, they don't quote it word for word often. That's, that's what they say. And because of that, then we can do whatever we want with these words. So you understand that's exactly what this is saying. Okay? Christ's victory over sin and death, I'm sorry, Christ's victory over sin in his death and resurrection inaugurated a new age and founded a new way to understand those old promises. Letter K. The apostles seem to say that Christ's reign in heaven can fulfill all God's promises spiritually. If the apostles spiritualized the Old Testament, then it is consistent to do so with Revelation 20, 1 through 6. I don't accept the premise, so I don't accept the conclusion. All right? Number three. And I, just so you know, can you tell that I want to talk about each one of these a lot more? But you all would actually fall on the floor and start going into spasms. So I'm not going to do that to you. Number three, this approach overcomes complexities such as multiple resurrections. <laughs> you know, the Bible has lots of resurrections. And it's complex. And you have to rightly divide the word of truth to understand. You know, you have the rapture. Well, what about the, what about the saints? Did they go up, the ones that came alive when Jesus rose from the dead? Then you have the rapture of the church. Then you have the resurrection of the 144,000 Jews. And then you have the resurrection of the two witnesses. Well, if the great way to explain that is that's all metaphor. Or you can just believe it, right? So this approach overcomes complexity such as multiple resurrections, unbelievers still living during Christ's reign on earth. There's unbelievers there. How do you deal with that? And harmonization of end time events. Now notice this. This is not Jim Alter writing. This is the dictionary. Starting from Origen and Augustine, various figures such as Aquinas, Luther, and Calvin have taken the amillennial viewpoint. All right? Starting with Origen and, Cal and Augustine. Bad guys. Always bad guys. All right? Number four. Amillennialism supports the interpretation of Revelation 20, 1 through 6, could recapitulate or explain. So recapitulate is to uh, restate in a different way. So that uh, it could recapitulate or explain previous ideas found in the book. The four animals described in Daniel 7 correspond to the four metals in Nebuchadnezzar's dream in Daniel 2. As Revelation imitates Daniel, this recapitulation may be occurring in Revelation 20. Revelation 17 through 19, which discusses God's judgment of evil in the church age and corresponds with the millennium. That doesn't make any... Do you see? The, are you all with me? That statement makes no sense. All right. So what's post-millennialism? The view that Christ's second coming will follow the millennium. That is, his return is post-millennial. Post-millennialists assert that the millennium will come by the spiritual and moral influence of Christian preaching and teaching in the world. So as we do our job... We evangelize the whole world, it's very successful, and then Christ can come. That we have spiritual rule on the whole planet, and then Christ can come. Um, so middle of the paragraph there, this will result in increased conversions, a more important role of the church in the world, earthly prosperity, the resolution of social ills, and a general adoption of Christian values. Now, I've got to say this. 
So we're going to look at history through the lens of Scripture. And the Bible says that evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. The time will come when men will not endure sound doctrine. That's what's going to happen before the return of Christ. That's what the Bible says. There must first be a falling away, and then that man of sin will be revealed. I mean, these are not figurative statements. They're declarative statements. And we just believe them. So this this doesn't work. It goes on. Evil will diminish until the time of Christ's second coming, which will mark as well the resurrection of the dead and the last judgment. So that's postmillennialism. Postmillennialism is the view that Christ will return to earth after the spirit-blessed gospel has had overwhelming success in bringing the world to adoption of Christianity. Number three, postmillennialism is characterized by the following views. Letter A, Christ comes after the millennial period finishes. Now remember, the millennial period is not actually a number. God used a number, but he didn't mean it. It's describing the age that we're living in. We, no, so just, I, just, I hope you understand. According to both of these views, we're living in the millennium right now. We are in it. Does anything that the Bible says about the millennium remind you of what we're in right now? Letter B. And just so you know, you know the Bible says in, in 1 Corinthians 4.4 4, that Satan is the God of this world. Again, declarative statement. He's the God of this world. Ephesians chapter 1. Prince of the power of the air. I'm sorry, Ephesians chapter 2. They just don't believe that. Satan was bound. He was defeated at the cross, according to 1 Corinthians 15. They, they use it that way. And so now, when the Bible says that Jesus is king, Jesus is ruling the earth right now. From heaven. That's, what, that's the teaching, okay? <clears throat> Letter B, the millennium is a, is a distinct time period inaugurated by the church, which encompasses both spiritual and physical characteristics. So this is Lorraine Bettner's book on the millennium. But you need to understand, this is all Calvinism. This is all Reformed theology. That's, that's where this comes from. Letter C. The body of Christ will influence the entire world culturally, politically, and economically so that Christ will have dominion through the church. This will bring great physical prosperity to the world. Letter D. The church will have great effectiveness in evangelism and deep spiritual maturity. Letter E. The hegemony, that's complete control or, or influence, the hegemony of the church will last a long time period, but not necessarily 1,000 years. Following this, a rebellion will ensue, and Christ will return to earth to judge and create a new heaven and earth. Letter F. The church has replaced Israel and received its purpose and promises. It now claims the responsibility as a national priesthood to the rest of the world. Are you seeing some problems? Letter G, Old Testament descriptions of Israel's global mission are part of the church's mission. This is supported by the Great Commission. 
So they say that, yes, we believe the Great Commission, but we believe, also believe verse 18, where Jesus said, all power is given to me in heaven and in earth. Well, yeah, yeah. But the Bible in Hebrews says, we see not yet all things put under his feet. That's what the Bible says. And so Satan is still the God of this world. In the temptation of Christ, when Satan offered Jesus the kingdoms of the world, they, he could offer them because they, were, they are his. Right now, they won't be. Daniel 2 describes what's going to happen when Jesus comes and crushes that rule. Um, letter H, the church's purpose to evangelize and make disciples of the entire world corresponds to God's guarantee to Israel to be a blessing to the world. Because the, it will be a blessing because the church is now Israel. That's what they're saying. Parables, such as the parable of the mustard seed, depict the kingdom growing progressively over time. This may imply that the church will have a growing influence over the entire world and eventually become the dominant institution. All right? Not much needs to be said there. Number four, the Puritans were notable supporters of post-millennialism. And, and so this is why when the Puritans came to the United States or founded the colonies here, that's why they would beat you or kill you or whatever if you didn't believe the way that they did because they were establishing a holy nation. And so they needed to rule your heart. That's what they believe. Interpretations of Revelation 21 through 6 are split within postmillennialism. Some view the context of Revelation as already fulfilled in A.D. 70. So when Titus Vespasian uh, sacked Jerusalem in 70 A.D., destroyed it all, destroyed the temple, that that is the fulfillment of all the prophecies in Revelation. That's what they believe. This is known as uh, preterism. Preterism is uh, from the Latin meaning past. All the prophecy is fulfilled in the past. Consequently, Revelation 21 through 6 is an event that is about to happen rather than connected to a future period of tribulation. Others view the book of Revelation as an idealistic or theological presentation of the nature of God's victory. The millennium is more theological, is more theological ideal than literal era of history. To have a full picture of the end times, other passages and theological concepts must be considered before Jerusalem fell. So, just my comments at the end here. The distinctions are clear. We interpret the Bible literally unless figurative language forbids it. Our opponents do not. That, how many of you would rather that I had just read the letter, Roman numeral number six, and <laughs> that was the whole lesson tonight? Um, <clears throat> so, do you all see why I don't spend a lot of time talking about what postmillennialists believe or what amillennialists believe. It can be summed up very simply. The church replaced Israel. All the promises for Israel now apply to the church. The millennium is not a real thing. It's, we are living in the millennium now, and it's our job to conquer the world spiritually. That's, what the, that's the simple statement. They come to those opinions because they believe in something that's called covenant theology. Maybe next week I'll do some things on covenant theology so that you can understand what that is. And so they interpret everything through their covenant theology. And it, it just changes the way you interpret the Bible. And it requires you to change the plain statements of Scripture. We're just not going to go along with that, folks. 
The Bible says something, we believe it. Doesn't mean we understand it all. We just believe it's going to happen. That's what the Bible says. Amen? All right. Let's all stand together.